The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heart of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three say as a flower, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. He took curds and milk from the calf that he prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And he said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, said, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you for the gift of laughter. Uh, Thank you for Brother Randall to bring uh, your word to us today. And Lord, I just pray that you will empower him with your Holy Spirit, uh, speak to our hearts, uh, convict us of the truth. And uh, help us to become more like you during this time. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ethan. All right, good morning. Okay, well, if this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Randall, lead pastor, and it's great to have you this morning. Uh, This is an important week. as was said earlier, this is Holy Week, and this is Palm Sunday in particular, uh, but we get to celebrate the life of, of Jesus, and really it's the culmination this week of, you know, celebrating his death and resurrection. Um, so I love this, this time of the year to really focus in particular on what we would say is, you know, the, the, the fulfillment of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Um, and it's not only me who's excited, but I found out this week that my kids are really excited. So I've got three kids and, and my daughters, um, you know, are really excited about this time of the year. I was taking my son somewhere, I was coming home, and then I came back, and they were in the front yard by themselves. Uh, I was wondering where my wife was, she was inside, and apparently they had just kind of gone outside and done their own thing. Um, What they were doing was they had set up their own Easter egg hunt uh, for our neighbors, and so there was like parents of our neighbors and, um, you know, the, the kids and all that stuff, like everybody was outside. Um, and then I was like, oh, man, I should probably be out there, too, you know, like, just to see what's going on. And so they, they had set it all up, and they, they got everybody together. They said, okay, ready, on your mark, get set, go. And they run over, and they gather all these eggs together, and they had a great time. Um, so they're excited about this week as well. Um, but there's a reason behind all of it, right? 
There is a reason behind all of it. And what we're going to see is that it's not only in the New Testament that we see the good news of the gospel, but it is all through the Bible. Um, we've been going from the very beginning of the year talking through the book of Genesis. Um, and what we looked at, and looked at is that God is the creator of all things. We looked at the life of Adam and Eve and their family. And then after that, we've looked at Noah. And now we have been looking at the life of Abraham uh, in particular. And uh, as we've talked about before, if, if you were to go through the Bible and just read uh, through looking at the lives of the different people that we've talked about, um, the Bible would be, this in particular, the stories would be pretty disappointing, right? We would think to ourselves, man, why are they doing these things? Why are they living this way? And all of that. But as I said, this is not about the characters being the heroes of the story, but this is about God being the hero of the story. See, that's the gospel. That's the good news is that God is the hero despite all of the mess that we see in the lives of all of these people. And so in the life of Abraham, we've seen it um, and we've seen the doubt and the struggle. But what it should mean to us is this, that it's relatable. It's relatable, that we can relate to these people because uh, we struggle and we have our doubts as well. Uh, so our text today is Genesis 18, 1 through 15. And here's the message, a God who laughs. A God who laughs. Uh, in today's text, um, this really is uh, the, the, the starting place. And, and really what, what's happening is, is the, the, the promise is coming to life right in front of Adam, or right in front of Abraham and Sarah, uh, because they were about to have a son. Uh, but before this officially happens, there's still some work that uh, God wants to do in their lives. Uh, because what we see here is there is a laugh that happens. Um, it's very distinctive throughout the passage. Um, and what this is, is a laugh of doubt, of disbelief. And so laughter is really important to this text. Now, what is Laughter. Well, Psychology Today explains it this way. They said laughter just might be the most contagious of all emotional experiences. What's more, it is a full-on collaboration between mind and body. Although laughter is one of the distinguishing features of human beings, little is known about the mechanisms behind it. Laughter can boost the immune system, relax muscles, and aid circulation, uh, the, and protect against heart disease. Laughter can lower anxiety, release tension, improve mood, and foster resilience. The benefits of laughter for both bodies and minds show that contagious convulsions are anything but frivolous. Um, so laughter is really important to the human experience. And we don't really think about it much, but um, it's unique to human beings. Um, you know, and somebody brought it, well, what about like laughing hyenas and all that type of thing? But, but it is different with people, right? Because you're, at, you're wondering, like, okay, are they really laughing or does it just sound like a laugh? Are they telling jokes to each other? Like that type of thing, right? And, and if you were to go to the zoo and, and to experience other creatures, um, you know, the lion or anything like that, and, and they started to laugh, that would be a little weird. You'd think, you're, that's a little creepy, right? And so the thing is, is it's unique to the human experience because of this. You and I, what we studied earlier, was, are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. And so there is something that, that laughter brings out in us that's really important. Because what we see in Psalm 2, and even as we look at the life of Jesus, even when we read this text, 
brings out laughter. It's kind of funny. Why? Well, Karl Barth said it well. He says, laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. You know, when we experience laughter, true laughter, what happens is, in many ways, is we experience the emotion that, that God gave us because it's in his image. But today, why, why did Abraham and Sarah laugh? Well, David Mathis says this. He says, like Abraham and Sarah, we are on a spiritual journey from the laughter of unbelief, like we talked about, the unbelief, see in Genesis 17 and 18, to the laughter of faith, Genesis 21. Knowing we will not experience the fullness of God's own laughter in us in this age of sin and pain. Here's the truth. We all experience sin, pain, hurts along the way, the journey. And there are moments where we have this laughter of unbelief. Like, could God really be there? Could God really love me? Could God be a part of my life? The laughter of unbelief. But there is a journey that happens to the laughter of faith. And so today we're going to explore that journey that happens in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And it unfolds in three parts. And so I'm going to give you all three up front. If you're taking notes today, it's from this text. And so the first one is this, an intimate encounter a broken spirit, a healing balm. An intimate encounter, a broken spirit, a healing balm. And so the first point is an intimate encounter. And so what we see, we see this in verses one through five. Here's what it says. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the door tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the, the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Now, the first thing that we need to understand about this text is that verse 1 is a narration for the readers. So the writer is helping us out here to explain what's happening. And and here's what he says. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. What we've learned is what Abraham doesn't know at first. He doesn't know at first that this is the Lord. He just thinks it's visitors. But what we find is this is not a normal visit. And so it starts in verse 2 of what's happening here. And so in verses 2 and 3, this is a classic showing in the ancient world of hospitality. Abraham's just finished working uh, during the day. And um, he looked up and saw some visitors right around the time he was about to take a siesta during the midday. When it says that the, the, the heat of the day was coming upon him. And so what's happening here is he's normally just seeing people, okay, and he's getting excited that there's visitors. Little did he know that he would be hosting the Lord and two angels. See, this is similar to what it says in Hebrews 13 too, where it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, many people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. 
Um, many believe that this passage in Hebrews 13 is talking in particular about the experience that Abraham has that we're reading today. And so he's getting excited, thinking that there are visitors that are coming over. But we know that the Lord has come to visit him. Uh, verses 4 and 5, here's what we need to understand. Abraham's doing everything he can to convince that these visitors, they need to stay. So there's this transition that's happening here because you see what he's saying? He's like, he's like begging them. And you see it in verse 5. He says, okay, let me just bring a morsel of bread that may refresh yourselves. And then you can hang out by the tree and everything's going to be okay. But what we find in, in the next verses in 6 through 8 is that it's not a morsel of bread that he's getting prepared here, but it is a full-on feast that he's getting prepared for, for these visitors. And so he goes to his wife, Sarah, he says, get everything prepared, get everything out here because we have some visitors with us. And he's excited. But he comes first to these visitors and he says, I'm just your servant. I'm your servant. But as we see this excitement, this meal that's happening, there's a transition that's going to be happening throughout this interaction as well. It says it like this in James 2.23. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. See, he's coming to the guests as a servant saying, I'm here to serve you. But what we're seeing is that as God's coming to him, interacting with him, God is coming to him as a friend. As a friend. This is an intimate encounter with God. See, the sharing of food during the, the, the time of Abraham together would have been a token of friendship, a form of covenantal commitment to one another. And so Abraham comes again as this servant, but God is going to show him that he's a friend. Um, because here's, here's what we know. In the Old Testament, there are different appearings of God that people experience. And in most of those cases, they try to prepare a meal. But what happens is, um, usually that visitation is quick. It's quick. And in this particular interaction, at the end of the verse, in verse 5, it says, do as you said. They're going to stay. They're going to stay for this meal. And so this should bring to our minds the scripture where Jesus says this. He says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. See, he's sharing his heart with Abraham. There's something that's happening that's, that's significant that's happening in the life of Abraham. And now he's coming to him again as just he's showing him he's a friend. Can you think about that for a minute? That the, the God of the universe, the God that created all things. Again, Abraham experiencing God. God shows him the star, says, I've created all of these things. Coming to him simply as a friend. It's relational. And it's an intimate encounter. And this shows us again that God is not some distant God out there, but he's a God that comes near to us. He comes near. See, God comes to Abraham. And in many ways, the good news of the gospel is this, that you didn't work your way to God and you don't go find God, but that God finds you. He comes to you. And he comes to us relationally as a friend. Now, why did God come? What's the purpose of this visit? 
Well, it's revealed to us in verses 9 through 13. And it's this, a broken spirit. A broken spirit. That's the why of this particular visitation. And so let's look at verses 9 through 13. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child, not that I, now that I am old? <clears throat> now, as we've talked about, one of the things that Sarah had struggled with was not having a child. And as we talked about last week, as we looked at uh, Genesis 16, was that there was this weight of the promise that she placed on herself. Because what God revealed was that there would be a son. And so now she was carrying this weight of feeling like, okay, how's that going to happen? Because I've been barren this whole time. And so she took on that responsibility and that weight. And, and what we saw is that earlier in that text, uh, that she, she tried to do it her way. And it just kind of blew up. It became this huge mess. And God is coming again, graciously saying, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so look at verses 9 and 10. It says that, that uh, where is Sarah, your wife? Again, this is not normal guests coming to hang out. But this question shows that it was something more. And then it gets even deeper. And this is really where Abraham's wheels had to start spinning. Hold on. How do you know Sarah? How do you know what she's been through? He says, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And here's what it says. It says, and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. What we see is that this promise was not just for Abraham. It was also for Sarah. And that she needed to hear this just as much as Abraham. But what was her response to this? Well, we see that in verses 11 and 12. We see now, again, the commentator saying, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. <clears throat> and so what we should read from that in verse 11 is that this is in every way not possible by human ability. Not possible by human ability. Verse 12 says, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Like, how is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? But you see, what the promise was, was this. It says, I will surely return. And in the way in which it's written, I will surely return to you, that the Lord is going to come and he's going to do this. It was said in a way that it was like already had happened. It was, it was so sure it had already received the, received the stamp of approval that it was like it was almost as if it had already taken place. That's the way it's written. And so what was Sarah's response to that? 
she laughed to herself. There's no way that can happen. She's listening in on this conversation. There's no way that can happen. Now, why did Sarah laugh? It was for good reason. It was because she had a broken spirit. Gordon Wenham says this about the text. He says, these remarks of Sarah's show us the basis of her doubts. She laughed not out of cocky arrogance, but because a life of long disappointment had taught her not to clutch to straws. Hopelessness, not pride, underlay her unbelief. Her self-restraint and not openly expressing her doubts and the sadness behind them go far to explain the gentleness of the divine rebuke. Do you hear that? What this is, is that God is gently coming to her and exposing this area of unbelief, hurt, doubt, pain. You know, how many times do we laugh? Not out of a laugh of joy, but of a laugh of unbelief and disbelief, and there's no way that that's possible. Of distancing ourselves from believing. See, God knows the areas of brokenness in her life, in her heart. And what he does is he he lovingly calls it out. Do you see verse 13? It says, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Now, <clears throat> again, this shows us why they, the visitors came. This visitation wasn't just for Abraham. This was for Sarah. This was for Sarah. Because there was a brokenness in her heart, in her life, that God wanted to heal, that God wanted to fix. And just like any good physician, he comes in gently and asks the question. The only way that anyone could know that is because they would know the heart. They would know the inner being, and God knows those things. And so God comes to her and reveals this broken spirit. And so then the, the last point, this is the good news part, is a healing balm. Verses 14 and 15. Here's what he says. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. She was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Why was she afraid? Because she didn't want to put herself in that position again. She didn't want to put herself out there again. She didn't want to think that there was hope with, with, again, clutching to straws. And so she didn't want to be exposed and be a laughing stock. See, what does this tell us about God? Well, there's two things. The first, uh, first one is this, that nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. Like verse 14, like if there wasn't this, this doubt, if there wasn't this hurt, if there wasn't this pain, then we wouldn't get verse 14, right? Like there is this amazing truth in verse 14, and it is God himself who says it. 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let me think about it for a minute. You created everything. You can do anything. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I guess not. But then secondly, it says this, at the appointed time, I will return to you. What does that say about God? It says that his timetable is not my timetable. That his ways are not my ways. That his thoughts are not my thoughts. That God has a timetable that's far greater than mine. And so at the point in time, he'll return. And so what does this tell us about where Sarah's at? That she was struggling and she was broken. But maybe this is the first time she saw how deeply hurt and broken she was. How much she was struggling. Do, do you ever have those moments where you just think to yourself, like, I'm okay. I'm good. And then something happens or somebody asks you, like, how, how are you doing? And you're like, whoa, this, there's something coming out of me right now that I'm getting a little bit emotional. I, I don't know why. See, what's happening is it's being brought out of her that she wasn't okay. And God is addressing this because he loves her. See, verse 15, it's Sarah denied it. I I didn't laugh. Like, I didn't laugh for you to hear. I laughed in here, but I didn't laugh for you to hear. Like, I didn't do that. And as God does, he's just like, you did laugh. I love that part, right? It's like, no, you did. (laughs) Like, that's so good. Because so many times I want to hide it. I want to act like I didn't do that. I want to act like I received it and it was just like, yes, Lord, you, I believe in the promise that you gave me right now. But it didn't happen like that. It's transparency. It's realness. And so as she's discovering how broken she is, she's able to come to terms with the fact that she doesn't believe And she's not brought low and said, well, why didn't you believe me? But it's confronting and saying, okay, this is where I'm at. See, at the end of the day, this is the message of Christianity. We are in a desperate, hopeless position. Like, there's no possible way that we could get ourselves around it. Just like Sarah in no possible way, could have a child on human ability. No way. Impossible. It is God that comes around and says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for God to save someone who's lost and desperate and at the end of their rope and needs the kindness and grace of God now? You're not too far gone. But God can do a miracle. You know, the thought of us being Christians, thought of us saying, yeah, God loves me and saved me. After all the things that I've done, after all the times where I've laughed and rejected him, the thought to me that I could be a Christian should make me say, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. You know what Jesus calls that? In John 3, he calls it a new birth. 
A new birth. It's something that only can be done by God. It's not something that I can do on my own. And it only happens when I stop trusting in myself and I start trusting in God. God, I'm at the end of my rope. This is impossible. See, it should make us laugh when we think of ourselves as Christians because as I hold up the mirror and say, God, you love me? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. See, what was it that was the healing balm to Sarah's broken spirit? Well, Genesis 21 tells us, and so here's what it says. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. See that thing, that, that, that broken laughter of unbelief was transformed into the laughter of joy. The laughter of experiencing and believing and seeing what only God could do. And she says, God has made laughter for me. She says, everyone who hears will laugh over me. You know what she's saying? She's saying that when people see that she's got a child, they're going to start laughing. <laughs> like, how is that possible? That's going to follow her in her life. And every time now that she hears laughter, what it's going to be is a reminder of God's promise. That God's promise. See, because what they did is they named their son Isaac. And here's what it means. He laughs. He laughs. You want to know who gets the last laugh? God gets the last laugh. He laughs. Right? We've got these plans. We've got these things that we just kind of place out there. We say, this is how it's going to happen on my time. And when we place it in the hands of God, it says that he's able to create a, a healing balm to our hearts that can heal those broken places. And he gets the last laugh. But it's out of joy. So let me give you some takeaways to apply this. The first one is this. What feels impossible to you right now? Right? What feels impossible to you right now? Um, this week I had a friend come over, even, and I was just kind of sharing with him. He said, is there anything I can pray for you about? I said, you know, yeah, there is. And so I started to name some things, and, you know, it's just like a lot of those things that I was naming off were based out of fear. Based out, they were so fear-based. And even as they started to come out of my mouth, like, it sounds silly. It sounded really silly. But he's like, Randall, you got to call it out, man. You got to call it out. Like, just say it. I'm like, okay, even. I'm going to say it, man. And, and so I just started saying it. And he started praying for me. And you know, the thing was, as I went through that process, 
is that it was a healing process for me. Because again, as I start to say, these are some of the doubts and the things that are just feel like impossible to me right now, that there's, there's just no way this is going to happen. I felt like the brokenness inside of my heart started to heal as I heard my brother praying for me, as I experienced that. See, could you believe that um, as we start to call some of these things out and start to say some of it, that these could just be reminders to us of how much we depend on ourselves and not God. Because as I started to say it, I was like, okay, let me go back. Like, I'm preaching on this this week. Like, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Is it going to happen on his timing? Yes. Okay, then why am I so worried and concerned and filled with doubt and anxieties? Right? And so what feels impossible to you right now? And would you just call it out? And allow the Lord to heal some of those places. The second takeaway is this. What negative self-talk are you believing? What negative self-talk are you believing? Okay, for Sarah, here's how she described herself. She says, I'm old and I'm worn out. I'm old and I'm worn out. And what she was saying was this. As God started to speak this promise to her, And she said to herself, there's no way that that could be for me. She counted herself out. She counted herself out by saying, there's no way that that could happen to me. There's no way that that could possibly be me that you're talking about. See, one of the things I've heard said is this, that if you still have breath in your lungs, that you still have purpose in life. If you're still here, you still have purpose. And so don't count yourself out of what God can do in your life. Right? Like, there's a God who can do anything, and he loves you. But many times what happens is we believe this negative self-talk, and it starts to just sabotage the things that God has for us. This past week, uh, my son was at one of his classes. He does a lot of, like, different gymnastics stuff, pretty difficult maneuvers and, and things that I can't do. So it's a humbling place when your, your son is able to do things that you can't do and you're like, oh, all right, I'm not even going to try that because I'm going to throw out my back, right? Like there's something bad that's going to happen if I try that. And I remember he had a really difficult time this week during one of his training sessions. And I looked at him and he, every, everything that he did, he just put his head down. He just looked so defeated. And after the class, he came up, and I, he said, did you see me out there, Dad? He's like, I was terrible. I stink. I can't do this. And I looked at him, and I said, well, I, I don't see what you saw out there. I saw you maybe, maybe wasn't like you weren't able to nail everything perfectly, but you don't stink. You, you, you shouldn't see yourself that way. Like, I, I, I saw my son doing some pretty incredible things. And what that is, is, is when you start to transform, you start to see not your life through your own eyes, right? Like, you got, you got that view of, like, how you view yourself. But you start to see yourself through God's eyes, a father's eyes, a father who loves you, who cares for you. Right, because I look at my son and I think to myself, like, I love him so much. 
And I don't want you to talk about yourself in that way or think about yourself in that way. What it says is that you and I are children of God. As we place our faith in Jesus, the new birth happens and you become a new creation and you are a child of God. And so what does that mean for your life? It's that he views you in a way that is radically different than the way you probably view yourself. It should be so transformative to us. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, there's a guy named Gideon. This guy was filled with just doubts and fears and all those things. And when God comes to him, you know what he he says? The first thing, he says, hey, mighty warrior of God. He calls him a mighty warrior of God. He hasn't been in any battles. He hasn't done anything. He's going to have a lot of doubts. He's like, God, I don't trust you right now. But God, right off the bat, calls him a mighty warrior of God. Right? And so what negative self-talk is holding you back from believing what God says about you and who says you are? Thirdly, what do you think God's response is to your doubt? Do you believe it's gracious, that it's loving, that it's caring, like with Sarah? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can talk kindly to you like this and pull out your doubts with some of these questions that he has? You know, I was talking this week in an FCA to a group of high schoolers. And one of the things I talked about was the the life of Abraham. And I looked at Adam and I said, hey, do you know that it's okay to have doubts and fears and struggles? Because I'm I'm sure that some of you before, you've been told, you got to stuff all those inside. You can't say, I have doubts or I have questions or any of those things. But what we see in the life of Abraham is that he brings those things to God. He brings them to God. There's a loving God who cares for us deeply. J.C. Ryle says it well when he says this, Doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. The Lord is ready to help us. That is a gracious, kind God that we see in Scripture. And lastly, how can we apply this to our heart? Tim Chester, I was reading a blog by him this week, and one of the things he says, he says in his book, You Can Change, he identified four liberating truths about God. And so I want to give you these four liberating truths, and, and here's what they are. He says, the first truth is this, that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. That God is great, so I don't have to be in control. If I believe that about God. Secondly, it's this, that God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. You you, want to know, like, what it looks like for Sarah as she goes throughout her life? And she's, they're probably afraid to share that there's a promise, They're probably afraid to share it because they're afraid to be laughed at by others. And so she's just struggling with this doubt and this fear, but to know that we don't have to fear others because God is glorious. Thirdly, God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. Right, like that thing that we we think is gonna fulfill our lives isn't outside of God. It's not outside of God. But it's knowing that it is in God, that he is good, and he will provide what we need. And lastly, God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves. Right, when people feel, make us feel like we're not fully who we need to be, 
we can know that God is gracious and so we don't have to prove ourselves to anyone, but that we stand as complete in Jesus Christ. And what happens is when you start to apply these truths again and again to your heart, it'll change you. It'll change you. It'll heal you. It'll help you. See, how can we be sure of this God who, who comes to people who just doubt his plan? Right, who doubt his plan again and again and again. We see it in the life of Sarah and Abraham. Like, how can we know that there's a gracious God like this that will love us even in our doubts and our pains? Even when we laugh at his plan? Well, what I know is that 2,000 years ago, there was another visitation. There was a visitation by God becoming man. God coming in human flesh. In, in every way, an intimate encounter with God, right? As we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he is God. He's not just some man who came, but he is God himself and how he interacted with people and how he was kind to people. You see, we see that he came in that, that visitation. And what we see is that many scholars believe as we look at, as we've talked about before, that in particular in this verse in Genesis 18, that again, this is just another visitation from the pre-incarnate Jesus. Another visitation. But we see that Jesus' life, as he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, was filled with mocking, laughter at who he was, doubt of his plan and who he was. It was filled with it. Isaiah 53 tells us that. And he took that all the way to the cross. You see, because as he was carrying the cross up that hill, he was placed between two men. One criminal who laughed and mocked him. As Jesus' clothes were being bartered for, as he was stripped of everything he had. And you know what he said? If you're really the son of God, then why don't you just get yourself off of that cross? And he laughed and he mocked as Jesus was on the cross. But there's another one who turned to Jesus and simply said, I believe. He said, we're here for just reasons. I'm a criminal, I deserve this, but you don't deserve this. And so would you just simply remember me? Would you just simply remember me? One laughter mocking. One silent as Sarah was brought to her silence as she saw her sin. As she saw that thing in her that was just controlling her life that she didn't believe. And it's when we see at the foot of the cross and look up at Jesus, we're one of two people. We either laugh and mock and say, that's not true. Or we are just in stunned silence saying, would you remember me, Jesus? And what we see is that on that third day as Jesus died and rose again, that it was the laughter of God. The laughter of God as he rose from the dead. I mean, just the, imagine the picture of God. And Jesus raising from the dead. It was the joy of God 
the promise that changed eternity. The promise of the son. And so today, where are you at? Do you believe it? Could you believe it? That God himself has the last laugh when he raises from the dead? And that's the greatest promise that you and I could have that transforms our hearts and our lives forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that the laughter of God transforms our lives and that we can be new people, new creations because of what you've done. And so help us today to see Jesus more clearly and that it was you coming in this moment, promising, and everything that was promised came to pass. But it all pointed to the greater son, the greater son with the greater joy that we can all have in our hearts or in stunned silence of you and, and simply place our trust in you. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.